Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for tuning in with us. Today we are going to talk about the last chapter in the book of Daniel. And uh, with the conditions we are in at the moment all around the world, but also here in uh, Australia, we're not able to come together on a panel here in the studio, but we join via Zoom. And that's um, very good to have this uh, possibility of uh, doing this through the Internet. I would like to just welcome uh, our panel today, and I will start with those people uh, on the other end of the line. Uh, maybe the last one who joining us was Brenton. Uh, welcome to the program, Brenton. Thank you, Nick. It's a pleasure to be uh, with Faith FM again. Thank you also, Harvey, for joining us. Yes, we're looking forward to seeing how this works. I hope it works for everyone. Sure, we're trusting in the Lord, and this will go well with with His will. Helen, thank you for joining us too. Thank you for having me. I'm sitting here in beautiful sunshine, and it's a delight to be part of the panel. Thank you. All right, Lija is joining us uh, here, and thank you, Lija, for uh, being part of this uh, program. And, uh, thank you. I feel very privileged. And Len is uh, with us here in the studio. Len, thank you for um, coming together in these conditions. You know, we didn't know uh, if we will, will still be able to do it or not, but uh, praise God for the opportunity to have this uh, Bible study together. And uh, uh, you are going to facilitate the program today. Uh, thank you for joining the program. Yes, and hello, listeners. We are kind of in the center of a Zoom hookup. Brenton down at Mount Gambier, Harvey in one of the northern suburbs, Helen up near Gola somewhere, and we're in the studio today. These are momentous times, and this week we're studying the last chapter. That's number 12 of the book of Daniel. And the prophet Daniel was given special insights into world history, commencing with the pre-BC Babylonian kingdom. And you can read about that in chapter 2 of Daniel. Reaching right through to the end of the world and beyond when God sets up his eternal kingdom. We're now in the age of what Daniel saw as the politico-religio time of the little horn. This power, understood to be the papacy, coupled with certain political or national powers, is the last mentioned human-controlled world power in the prophecies God gave through Daniel. And chapter 12 is about end times, and it's a fascinating study. And I expect that many of you who are listening today are thinking with this coronavirus that's sweeping around the world, affecting many people and killing many others, thinking, is the world, end of the world, about to happen? Well, we don't know, except the signs that Jesus gave, and there would be pestilences, and this is certainly one. Before we commence our study today, I invite you to join me in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the assurance of your word. We thank you that you are a God who cares. We thank you that you're a God who informs us about things to take place in the future. And we thank you that through Jesus we have been saved from our sins and have the opportunity to have eternal life if we so choose. I pray that you'll bless all of us, listeners and panel, 
as we do this study today, that we might all be guided by the Holy Spirit, and when Jesus comes again, that we will be ready for his coming. We pray this prayer in and through the worthy name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen. Well now, let's begin Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Brenton, would you read the very first verse, please? Certainly, Lynn. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Well, now, there were three times where the expression at that time was used. Brenton, what's that time being referred to? It's the time, time Len, post-1798, at the end of the 1260-year period that we have studied earlier in the book of Daniel in several places. So are we in that time now? Yes, we're in, in that time. Okay. So in there, panel, the word Michael was used and a title was also given to Michael. So who is Michael? Anybody? The, the expression Michael, uh, first of all, it says that uh, he's the archangel. And after if we look through quite other texts, it says uh, he is God's warrior in Zechariah. He's the victorious warrior in Psalm 68. The Lord mighty in battle in Psalm 24, verse 8. And uh, in the end uh, is Jesus. The archangel is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, yes. Prince of the Universe. And that's um, probably the best answer anybody can give. We don't have a direct statement to say that Michael is Jesus, but by all the other things that are said, it refers to Jesus. And in the text that Brenton just read, it describes him as the great prince. It doesn't say a great prince. It says the great prince. And in other references in the book of Daniel, it calls him the prince of the host, or, and this one's even better, Messiah the Prince. Anyhow, coming back to what Brenton was saying, what does Michael do? I believe that Michael here in Daniel is emerging as the most important character in the book of Daniel. You know, when you think through what we've studied in the book, you know, he appeared as the fourth man in the blazing furnace in Daniel 3. He was the son of man in the heavenly judgment. And you, of course, you mentioned the prince of hosts, the Messiah who'd be cut off, the man clothed in linen in Daniel 10. You know, it goes right the way through. We see Michael serves as a commander of God's army. And indeed, Michael can be none other than the pre-incarnate son of God. Yes, that's I, right. I agree. So well, what does what does Michael do here according to this text? Basically what happens is the uh, Hebrew word is amad, spelled A-M-A-D. Anyone who chooses to look it up will realise that it means to take a stand, to take one stand or to make a stand amongst other things. In other words, Michael, who represents or who protects God's people, 
now steps in, as Helen said, into the flow of history and says, right, that's it. We need to go back to chapter 11 and have a look at the king of the north in verse 45. We'll see that he's destroying, he's carrying on, and Michael now stands up and says, that's it, time's up, it's over, I'm in control now. Yes. I agree with you. I believe that Michael at this time stands up as a final and definitive king who overcomes all the previous powers, as you've just mentioned, Brenton, in, in Daniel 11.45. These chapters all blend in together. He establishes yes. himself as the king of the new cosmic order. You know, his final victory, if you look at it, it actually, at the end, it outshines Nebuchadnezzar's fleeting victory at the beginning. Jerusalem eclipses Babylon and the city that lost in the beginning becomes the victor and in the end the city that previously won disappears forever and now the ruler from heaven will take over that's good news for us he will make up a very different type of kingdom one that is ruled upon the principles of righteousness yes wonderful news now Harvey in there in that first verse that Brenton read which is quite a a full verse, got lots of things in it. It talks about the conditions on earth prior to the end of the world. What does it say? Well, we know full well that the conditions are going to get worse and worse because it says it's going to be like the days of Noah and the Lord destroyed the earth with a flood because the conditions, the sinfulness of the world was so great at that time uh, one thing there if i could um, mention also from um, from this passage in uh, daniel chapter 12 is that um, and there shall be a time of trouble such never was since there was a nation i think that's a very strong statement there yeah. And even now, while we are doing this program, people are saying that things which are happening right now in the world, they never seen in their lifetime. And you see, it's you cannot relate to things in the past, in the history, as well as in your own time. When you experience in your time and you, you declare things like that, i never seen something like this, uh, such of a proportion with the coronavirus which is going uh, all around the world. Uh, I think this is the fulfillment of that uh, text in, in a very particular way. And I agree with you, Nick. Now, despite the fact conditions on the world will be so bad, it's never been seen so bad in the past, it talks about somebody being delivered Helen, who will be delivered? Well, if we read the end of that text again, it said, but at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. So those people that have given their lives completely to God, who have submitted to him, who have um, accepted his rulership, who love him completely, um, we've got an assurance here that he's going to take care of us, especially with our names that are written in that book. Yes, and we'll talk about the books soon, but if your name is not written in the book, well, then it's just going to be too bad. And I don't mean that unkindly. It's It means there will be no deliverance. Now, Michael stands up, Jesus stands up, to deliver the sentence, and he here is taking the position as... I think it was Nick referred to earlier as judge. 
Tell me, and this is a little bit off the uh, theme of the lesson, but it's important. If you were in a court and the judge was your very best friend, how would you feel about the sentence that was likely to follow? Any takers on that? Len, just uh, if I could answer on this one, because it's a very interesting question and uh, it can have uh, different answers. For example, if you are guilty, if you have something to hide, even though you have the, your best friend as a judge there, I'm not sure about how confident you could be. But if you know that you, you are uh, not guilty and you have your best friend as a judge, you will uh, expect a fair trial. Uh, wouldn't be like, uh, you know, because in the world, unfortunately, things are done uh, sometimes not in the right way. But yeah, this is a very difficult question Len, uh, to answer. But in the context of Jesus Christ being our advocate and our judge at the same time, I think you can uh, you can have um, well you can have confidence. Yes, well you mentioned advocate, so if the if you had the attorney for, attorney for defence as your attorney, and also you have the judge, and both of these are the one and the same, I would too feel very confident. In fact, that's why I've put this question in. Because I believe it's very important for us to realise that when Michael stands up, he hasn't stood up to condemn those who've committed their lives to him. Now, I have thought of another stand-up thought. Now, this is a little bit off, but I think it's also important. When I was a little kid and I first went to school, my older brother was in year seven. You know, that gave me a lot of confidence because if anybody wanted to pick on me, I could say, I'm going to tell my brother what's happened and you'd better watch out. And so in that sense, Jesus stands up for those who commit their lives to him. Any comments, panel? Michael stands and acts as a military leader who protects his people and leads them in a special way during the last stages of the great controversy and uh, secondly he stands in a way that points to a judgment settings as we discussed so Michael stands to act as an advocate in the heavenly tribunal so as the son of man he comes before the ancient of days to represent God's people during the investigative judgment so Michael's rising or standing evokes the military and judicial aspects of his work. So in other words, he is invested with the power to defeat God's enemies and with the authority to represent God's people in the heavenly tribunal. All right. Thank you, Lydia. Now in there is another little phrase that says your people, referring to Michael's people and it talks about those people that there's something being done with their names what is it probably it's a uh, it's uh, talking here about uh, every individual name that is recorded 
in a book, in a heavenly books. So at the judgment, the books are open to, for every individual to be judged. All right, so if the books are opened, that could refer to a whole lot of books, or it might refer to two kinds of books. Now, the question is, God's people are written in a special book, mm. which is called... The Book of Life. The Book of Life. Now, we've got some text to show that there is a special record of those who God has written in a special book, which we call the Book of Life. Harvey, would you read one of these, Exodus thirty-two, thirty-two? Yes, be glad to. Exodus thirty-two, thirty-two. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which is which you have written. Okay, so this is Moses referring to God, who put His name in His book, and Moses said, "Lord, blot me out." In other words, I don't count me as special. Well, Helen, would you read Psalm 69, verse 28, please? I shall, although it's rather a sad text. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says here, Erase their names from the book of life. Don't let them be counted among the righteous. Okay, so there is an implication in there that the righteous have their names in the book of life. Lydia, another one, Philippians 4, verse 3. Yes, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my workers, whose names are in the book of life. Again, we have God's special people in the, the special book, the book of life. Now, Brenton, Revelation chapter 17, verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Okay. And they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. All right. So how do you get your name in the book of life, Brenton? You get your name in the book of life by accepted, accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, and then your name is written in the book of life. Okay. And if you want it to stay written in the book of life, you continue to accept Jesus as your Saviour and do what God wants. I would like to add something here, because, you know, people can um, ask lots of questions. How is your name written in the book of life, but how it can be kept in the book of life? And just to give you a little bit of background, because it says here that the beast will, you know, come alive again. And we're talking about that, uh, we were talking about in the book of Daniel uh, before. But, for example, in Revelation chapter 14, verse 12, it says, Here is the patience of the saints who keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus. What that means, when you are declared, you know, a saint of uh, of the living God, then you have your name written down in the book of life. But you need to keep that, the commandments of God. Because sometimes in the Christendom, people have the idea that, uh, okay, uh, Jesus did it for us all. 
he died for us and for now on you don't worry about uh, you know what you do what you um, say your uh, name is in the book of life and nobody can take it down from there but we learn in these verses that uh, your name can be taken off the book of life there are at least five people mentioned in the new testament backed out being christians and went back into the world and their names are there their names would have been removed from the book of life well now in view of that then can i just add something here of course in revelation chapter 3 there's good counsel that was given to the church in sardis in chapter 3 verses 4 and 5 and it says yet there are some in the church of sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil they will walk with me and bite for they are worthy there's a key word there walk with me yes and it yes. says who all who are victorious will be clothed in white i will never erase their names from the book of life but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. I think that's good counsel that we need to take on board today. Hmm. Yes. Well, now, we've been talking about the Book of Life and those whose names are written there. What about the rest of the people who don't accept Christ's sacrifice and who don't walk in the way of the Lord? Harvey, what does it say in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 6? It says, Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silence, but will repay, even repay into their bosom. Okay, well, God doesn't forget the things that uh, people have done wrong, except in the case where we accept the sacrifice of Jesus and all those sins are wiped out. The page is made clean. He says, I will make uh, you white as snow, I will cast your sins into the deepest depths of the sea. So when we are forgiven, our page is wiped clean. Can we also recognise, Len, that God has given each person freedom to choose? So he's not being unfair here. He's not going to force anybody to live with him for eternally if they don't want to. So it comes back to our choices. You're very, you're very right. There are some religious groups who believe God's got a kind of a lottery system. Says, I'll have you, you and you, and the rest of you can go jump. Well, you've put your finger right on the button there. It, the choice is ours. God doesn't wish anyone to be destroyed, to perish. He wants everyone, but he can't force us to do that. Well, Helen, would you read Daniel chapter 12? verses 2 and 3 and talking about the dead who will wake to everlasting life and who will receive everlasting shame okay i'm reading again from the new living translation daniel 12 2 and 3 it says here many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever okay so put it in modern english who will receive eternal life and who will receive eternal shame those who um have given their lives to the lord those who are righteous in his eyes through the blood of christ they will awake to everlasting life and those who will receive everlasting shame are those that have turned away from him and continue to walk in the way of evil. 
and the way of Satan. There are only two masters and uh, we have the chance to choose who we want. And I, for one, want to follow my Lord right through into the kingdom. And I feel exactly the same. All right. Now, at what point? Oh, yes. Go on, Brenton. Len, there needs to be a qualifying comment on verse 2 and 3 when it says that um, some awake to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. In actual fact, at the second coming when the righteous are raised, there is a select group of people who are not going to be saved who are raised to see Christ come. Christ said that in Matthew twenty six sixty four when he said, after this to the high priest, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and sitting at the right hand of God. So whilst the righteous are raised at the second coming and the wicked, as we know, a thousand years later, there is a specific group, those who condemned Christ mm. and uh, had him crucified who will be raised to see that the big mistake they made was that they did crucify their Messiah. So that would certainly be shame and everlasting contempt. Yes. Harvey, at what point will God's people receive everlasting life? They'll, be, they'll receive everlasting life at the second coming when Jesus comes again. It says we'll all be changed in the twinkling of an eye at the sound of the last trump. So those that are going to be saved with God in heaven will happen at the second coming of Christ. But um, I've uh, talked with some people who uh, one of them in particular said, when I die, it, it doesn't worry me when I die because then I'm going to, and these are his words, he said, I'm going to God. Well, it seems to me that there's a bit of a confusion here because if God's people receive everlasting life at the second coming of Jesus and if they go to heaven when they die... That means they already are alive, so how can they receive everlasting life at the return of Jesus? Are they alive now, or what's going on? Helen? I find this very interesting, Len, because I used to be a person who believed that as well. In fact, I think a lot of people have been brought up with that belief. It's interesting how the Bible is very clear that when we die, we are asleep in the grave. We have no consciousness. We are asleep. We know nothing until the Lord comes and wakens us up. That includes the wicked as well as the righteous. And it will be at the coming of Christ, of course, when the righteous will be raised at the end of the thousand years, the wicked will be raised. I want to be in that first one with the Lord, don't you? Yeah, I'm with you, Helen. Lydia, I know you've got something very special to share with us here. In regard to this, we observe here that Daniel makes probably the most explicit reference in the Old Testament to the coming resurrection. And as we reflect on this passage, we can learn some very important truths. First, as the metaphor of sleep indicates no immortal soul inhibits human bodies. Humans are an invisible unity of body, mind and spirit. And in death, the person ceases to exist and remains unconscious until the resurrection. And second, our text points to the coming resurrection as a reversal of what happens as a consequence of sin. All right, well, that's pretty clear there. A lot of people believe, and this is from Greek philosophy, 
that body and soul, or mind, if you like, or spirit, are separate entities. Without one, there is no other. So if you have no spirit, no life, you're not a soul. <laughs> you're a you're a corpse. And Len, just on uh, on this uh, one, because you're right. So many people are confused with this terminology. Uh, going to God, you know, and uh, when you die, you are um, passing through, uh, right in, you know, into the uh, onto the other side in heaven. But you know, I heard about even from people who didn't believe necessarily uh, uh, into the life after death. But they will say something like this, and I'll give an example here. If you are meeting a friend and you have a good chat uh, through the evening. And they say, okay, now I'm going uh, home and I'll see you tomorrow morning. Uh, what are you doing when you're going home and uh, what, what are you referring to when you say, I will see you tomorrow morning? You're going home and have a sleep, yes? You'll be unconscious until tomorrow morning when you'll see again the other person. And this is interesting because some people can use that terminology, say, okay, look, I'm ready, I'm going, I'm going to God. And that can still refer that you are going to rest in the Lord until he will call you up again at the resurrection. All right. Well, now, most people fear death, of course. The question is, what about you and what about me? Harvey, you've got a text there that um, you can share with us. What does it say? Yes, it's Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. All right, well, death is not necessarily the end. For those who are God's people, death is not the end because he promises that we will have eternal life. Helen, what does Romans 8.11 say? Just before I, I read that to you, I think that that text that Harvey read out was just a priceless text when you stop and think about it. You know, one thing I have people say to me was, oh, my, my dad's looking after me or my granddad died last week, but I know he's watching me. Mm. And for me, I thought to myself, that is not heaven and earth. It's not heaven at all. Because if if one of our loved ones had gone to heaven and they were able to watch us but to do nothing to help us, that, that would be literally living in hell, especially if they saw their children in dire straits and they couldn't help. So for me, um, the Bible teaching me that death is, is just asleep until the Lord comes, that that is precious to me. But let me read this verse in Romans 8, verse 11, New Living Translation. It says, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Yes. All right, Lydia, I know you've got something else that's very important for us to take note of. Death ruins and ends everything here. But we are offered the promise that death does not hold the last word for faithful believers. Death is a vanquished enemy. 
But when Christ breaks the chains of death and emerges resurrected from the tomb, he deals with the fatal blow of death. Now we can look beyond the temporary reality of death to the ultimate reality of the life we receive from God in Christ. And because Michael stands up, those who belong to him will will also stand up. They will rise from the earth of dust to shine like the stars forever and ever. All right. Well, that's uh, that's a beautiful statement. Well, now, in those texts that um, uh, Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, it talks about those who are wise. How do we understand that? Who are described as wise and perhaps the opposite? Who would be foolish? Any takers on that? I think yeah. it would be simply a case of that those that have accepted what Christ has done for them and has accepted his sacrifice on their behalf, the gift that he's given, then they are undoubtedly wise. But those that reject it or just do not accept it, that the gift that has been provided, they don't accept the gift, then they are foolish. Yes. And there is another text here in Daniel 12, verse 10. It says that uh, many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be, to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. So if you are connected with God and your life is dedicated to him fully, surrendered everything to him, God will give you wisdom to understand things and wisdom to lead others also to the truth, through the Holy Spirit, through the light of the Holy Spirit. Also, I'd like to add here that when you see all these things happening in the world, you'll not be ignorant. You'll, be, you'll have a wise attitude of consulting, checking what the Bible says to learn and to understand. That's an attitude. And that's why even through this crisis we are going through, people are invited to stand up, to change their attitude towards uh, God and to understand and to follow God fully. And I believe that will be a wise decision. Yes, if you can have the greatest gift ever possible and you turn it down, that seems to me a rather foolish thing to do. But by accepting it is being wise. All right, let's move on. Helen, would you read for us, please, Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4. It says here, But you, Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret. Seal up the book until the time of the end, when many will rush here and there, and knowledge will increase. I find it interesting that he was told to seal it up until the time of the end and I believe what we're in the, the time of the end now and I believe the reason one of the reasons for this is that we now can look back in history and we can see that prophecies have been fulfilled a hundred percent and we know that God can be trusted and so this was kept safe and preserved for the time of the end now yes now it says keep secrets and some people think oh well God keeps all this secret because he said to Daniel, shut up the book and it's not to be opened until the time of the end. But does God keep secrets, Harvey? 
What does John 14:29 say? And now I have told you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe. That's the reason why God has revealed to the prophets things that are going to happen. And we know in the study of Daniel, especially what we're doing at the moment, God has revealed so much about end-time events and the fact that it's come to pass completely accurately as was prophesied gives us confidence that the things that have not yet come to pass but are indeed intended as future, that when they do come to pass, we will recognise it again and we'll have trust in it because he has been so complete in his promises and the fulfilment of promises that he has made for us in the past. Okay, yeah, that's good, Lydia. Daniel was instructed here by the the angel to close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. We all know that since 1798, the book of Daniel has been unsealed and knowledge of the prophecies has increased and many have proclaimed the solemn message of the judgment near. But at the end of the 18th century and the beginning of the 19th century, a new interest in the prophecies of Daniel and the Revelation was awakened in the widely separated places of the earth. So the studies of these prophecies led to a widespread belief that uh, the second advent of Christ was near. And we know that numerous expositors in England, Joseph Wolfe in the Middle East and Manuel Lacunza in South America and William Miller in the United States, all together uh, with a host of other students of the prophecies, declared on the basis of their study of the prophecies of Daniel that the second advent was at hand. So today this conviction has become the driving force of a worldwide movement that the second coming of Jesus is just here. All right, well, now we are going to jump down a little bit, folks, and we're going to go down to point number 31. And Len, just before you uh, tackle that one, uh, what Lija was just sharing here, because on verse 4 I want to um, just very briefly say something here. It says that uh, the time of the end, many shall run to and fro and the knowledge shall increase. Now when in the time of history wasn't such a knowledge like uh, these days and when were people able to travel if you like to and fro even all over the world like in the modern times Mm. you know see these few words in the in this passage can come alive so much with our understanding in the time we live in and even though we can learn now how um, God is bringing to our attention in the last minute, if you like, in the 12th hour, that uh, we should take things at heart and be serious about our relationship with God and not just keep going with life and just praying, okay, we'll go over this again, and we will with God's help uh, through the crisis we are in. But most important of all is to establish a relationship with God. All right, just quickly, knowledge shall be increased, it says, and men will run to and fro. I've actually seen a graph of 
the spread of knowledge throughout the world. And this last century, the graph has just gone almost straight up. Now, we were going to go straight down to 31, but I would like Harvey, please, to read Daniel chapter 12, verses 5 to 10. Okay. I'm reading from Daniel chapter 12, verses 5 to 10. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this riverbank and the other on that riverbank. And one said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, How long shall the fulfilment of these wonders be? Then I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven, and swore by him who lives forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, My Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. In this passage of Scripture, we are told basically that the only the wise will understand. It's going to be sealed to the time of the end. Daniel said, was told to seal up the words until the time of the end. And the reality was that this passage is talking about end time events. And Daniel was a long way away from end time events. And so he, it was a case of that it really wasn't relevant to his time. Even he didn't understand it fully, that's for sure. But it was talking about the fact of things that are going to happen in our time because we believe we're in the end time. It points to two groups. There are those that will understand and those that will not understand, even in the end times. And it speaks about those that are wise will understand. Those that have studied deeply into the words given in Daniel and those that have not will be the difference between the wisdom and or the wise and the unwise. Thank you for that, Harvey. Just quickly, uh, Psalm 19.7's got something to be, say about wise, Ledger. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making, making wise the simple. Yes, God's word and following of God's word, or the wise people follow God's word, the unwise don't. What about Proverbs 9, verses 9 and 10, Helen? It says, Instruct the wise, and they will be even wiser. Teach the righteous, and they will learn even more. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. <clears throat> when I use that word, fear of the Lord, let's not think that we are frightened of him, but it's the awe of the Lord. That's the foundation of wisdom. Mm. Wisdom's not just knowledge. Wisdom is uh, linking one's life with the Lord and observing the things that he says. Now, we've really got to hurry here. Verse 9 uh, uses the expression, Go your way, Daniel. And if we ask ourselves the question, what's that mean? Well, it simply means, Daniel, go on with your life. The things that you've been revealed or the things that have been revealed to you are 
concerning time beyond your time. Go your way, live your life, and when it's time you lay down your burdens, do it. But these things are yet to happen. Brenton, would you read verses 11 and 12 of Daniel chapter 12, and then comment if you wouldn't mind. Certainly, Len. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. A brief comment on all of that. The abomination of desolation, Christ himself said on the Mount of Olives, was yet future. He said in Matthew 24:15, when you see the abomination of desolation set up, let the reader understand I believe it was referring to two things. It was referring to the time when the Romans came and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem in AD 70. And, but it also refers more specifically to when the Roman church began to take power around the time AD 538. Prior to that, 30 years before, Clovis, the king of France, actually became a Roman Catholic. And, of course, we all know that the French people are very deeply uh, Roman Catholic today. So, basically, these two prophecies, the 1290 days and the 1335 days, if we interpret them according to the year-for-day principle, which we must, they probably uh, come about and reach their culmination round about the time of 1843 when the great Millerite movement began in America, and many people began to see that Jesus was about to return in the clouds of heaven. All right. I think it's important to remember that this abomination of desolation and the taking away of the daily sacrifice, in actual facts, is still present because the Roman church today still says that there is no way to heaven other than through them, whereas we know that the scripture tells us that we can go direct to Christ and receive forgiveness for our sins. Okay, thank you for that. And these dates given here in this last chapter of Daniel have been a bit confusing to some, but really they're not that confusing, and you've explained that very well. What does verse 13 of Daniel 12 say, Brenton? It's a good verse. But you go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. It's simply saying, Len, that there would come a time when Daniel, to use the words that Christ himself used, instead of saying you're going to die, he says you'll rest. Uh, Jesus always called death the sleep, and as Nick pointed out very well earlier on, that's exactly what it is. So he's simply saying you will sleep, you will rest, don't worry about it, because at the end of time, when all of this is fulfilled, you will rise in the resurrection to see Jesus come. You'll stand in your place and you'll be taken to heaven to be with him forever. And surely that's what we all want today. Yes, well, in my Bible, it talks about your allotted inheritance, which is another way of saying eternal life here. Well, there are many people around who believe that at death people go off to heaven. And I would like us to spend just a moment talking about a couple of people or several people mentioned in the Bible uh, about what happened when they died. Have you got the text Acts 2.34a, just the first little part of that verse there, Brenton? Sure. 
for David did not ascend into the heavens. Ah. Can I comment quickly um, on this? Whilst it's not one of the ones that you're mentioning, there is a very important one that we overlooked earlier in our uh, discussion time, the story of Lazarus. Lazarus had been dead four days. He was buried. When he came out of the grave, he had nothing to report because he hadn't gone to heaven. He hadn't gone to hell. He was simply sleeping. Yeah. All right. So David hadn't gone to heaven. Lazarus uh, had nothing to say. What about Hebrews 11.39, Brenton? It sounds like you've got the floor at the moment. It says, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. And the promise was? In other words, all the people then in the faith chapter who died, believing in the second coming of Jesus, hadn't received the promise. The reason they hadn't received it is because they weren't in heaven. Yeah. Well, Daniel is still waiting for Jesus to come again. David is waiting for Jesus to come again. And so are Noah, Abraham, Moses, Samuel, the martyrs, and all God's faithful ones down through the ages. Dear listeners, so are we. But what about you? Are you expecting to, to die and go to a Christless grave with no hope of a wonderful future? Or are you someone who at the return of Jesus will say, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And if you want to look that up, the reference is Isaiah 25, verse 9. Helen, would you read Matthew chapter 25, verse 34? That's a great text. Thank you for choosing that one, Len. Um, and it's one that I don't want anybody to miss out on hearing. It says here, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. What a great day. What a wonderful promise. And these are the words that we, as your panel today, are waiting to hear when Jesus comes back to take home with him to heaven those who love him and look forward to his appearing. Well, we're just about at the very end. In review, the book of Daniel is about, firstly, the exemplary life of God's man, Daniel. It's also about worldwide powers, past, present, and future. It's also about the great controversy between good and evil. It's about our Saviour and our Judge, Jesus. The book of Daniel is a book that requires not just our interest, but requires our response in commitment to the great God of the universe who loves us. Give your heart to him and you will be safe. These are very troubled times we're now experiencing on planet Earth, and they should be a wake-up call for everyone to become one of God's people. So what we would like now is some take-home thoughts from the study of this chapter, Daniel chapter 12. Thank you, Helen. I'd just like to finish by saying, despite the ominous events that take place in the time of trouble and what we see even today, we can look to the future with hope and with confidence. Jesus, our high priest, he stands for us in the heavenly sanctuary. And because we have accepted him as Savior and Lord, our names are written in the book of life with his blood. 
We shall stand protected during the last days of Earth's history. And as dark clouds cover the Earth, we will walk in the light of Calvary. And when human hopes and resources are exhausted, the sea will part and we will walk into heavenly Zion. There we will enjoy the presence of the King forever. Yes, thank you, Helen. Anybody else got a take-home thought? As to Daniel, it was said that close up and seal this word for for his time it was closed but now is opened for us this revelation and we are just here for the time that the prophecy takes place for me is that am i ready to accept this prophecy and i'm ready to be mingled in and am i ready to receive wisdom from god to tell others about it all right thank you now brenton you had something to share Yes, to a degree, it's similar to what Lydia said in her last couple of words. I believe the key verses in this chapter relate to wisdom. They that are wise shall shine like the stars in the firmament forever and ever. I believe that whilst Helen is looking to the future and our being with our Lord, I believe it's important today to be wise spiritually. That means to understand prophecy, not to be misled, uh, along false paths because if we understand this properly and we understand it according to the method of interpretation that we follow, the historicist method, I believe that many things in the Bible become clear and we can then clearly see the way that Jesus would have us to go. So what we need to pray for in 2020 in the midst of COVID-19, I believe is wisdom to understand the scriptures and a willingness to follow what we read and what we understand. Yes, thank you. What about you, Harvey? Do you have something to share? I'd like to just reinforce a little bit what um, Brenton just said, because I believe the book of Daniel is almost the greatest book in the Bible as far as developing confidence as we come to this stage of Earth's history. Yes. You know, the whole Bible is a wonderful book. It's a love letter of God to the world. But if you want to determine whether you believe the Bible is true or not, the book of Daniel is a very good place to start because it's given us prophecies that extended far into the future from when they were written and they have been accurate all the way along. A good example of that, of course, is Daniel chapter 2 where it speaks about the, the statue and the stone strikes the feet at the end. Now, that is future, but everything prior to that has come true. So it gives us confidence that what it's saying about the future, as far as we are concerned, we can be confident about as well. And so we can look forward to the time, as Helen mentioned, that one day very soon we're going to see the fulfilment of that last part of the prophecy and Jesus is going to return and we'll see him face to face what a day that will be well I would like to share this there used to be a song called dare to be a Daniel well it's still around of course mm. Daniel to me is somebody who I I can admire he is a role model for me in his experience with the Lord his obedience and um, God was able to use him to write this information down for us in these modern times. 
dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand up against opposition, dare to do what God wants. And listeners, this is what is our prayer for you too. I just want to like to share one life application, if I may. And it was about a group of college students who was frustrated with their struggle to understand the book of Daniel. They went to the gym to play basketball. And after their game, they noticed that the old caretaker was sitting in the corner reading. What are you reading, Joe? They asked. The book of Daniel, he replied. Oh, you can't understand that. Yes, I can, Joe replied. It's quite simple. God wins. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, Brenton, would you close for us today, please? Thank you. Our wonderful Father in heaven, in the midst of COVID-19, which is a worldwide pandemic, we can come today, read your word, know the end of the story, and above all, know that Jesus has said that when he returns, there will be no more sickness, suffering, pain or death. Lord, I pray for not only ourselves as a panel, but also for our listeners, that we will be wise wise unto salvation, wise in studying your word and saying, Lord, please reveal your will for me and may I be willing to follow it. Lord, give us grace even in these times where we are socially isolated to be able to share the good news of Jesus coming, whether it's by social media or by telephone or by whatever method, Lord. Help us to encourage people to look up because their redemption draws nigh. This is not the end of the story, COVID-19. The end of the story is Jesus coming in the clouds of heaven for his people. My prayer is that each of us and our listeners will be there and ready to say, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brenton, and thank you, Nick, for overseeing this extremely difficult way to do this uh, broadcast. But, listeners, we hope you appreciate our efforts. And thank you, panel, for uh, being part of this uh, wonderful Bible study on the book of Daniel. Uh, We are looking forward for um, a new study from next week, if God allows. And um, until then, I would like to wish uh, each one of you and... uh, you, dear listener, there, that you may be encouraged, that you'll uh, have faith in God, and you'll not be part of a group who is fearful and no, not knowing the direction, even through these challenging times. I pray that uh, you'll keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.